0: If you have your Bibles, either a printed copy like I have here or a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It It has God for its author, author. salvation salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to John chapter 19, John's Gospel, the 19th chapter. And once you get there, I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. We're just going to look at one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but it's a verse that I think that you need to familiarize yourself with. So John 19 in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, years ago I read a story that I believe to be true, but I'm not sure it happened during the Civil War. There was a farmer named Blake who was drafted into the army, but he was deeply concerned because his wife had recently died and there was no one left to take care of their small children. And so before the day that he was to go and begin his service in the military, his neighbor came over, Charlie Durham, and said, we need to talk. And so they sat down in Blake's home, and Charlie said, Blake, your family needs you here. And so I am going to go in your place and fight for you. Well, Blake was overwhelmed. He couldn't speak. He was speechless. But after a while, he just thanked God, thanked Charlie, and and then the time came for, for Charlie to leave to go do his duty, but sadly, Charlie died in the very first battle that he fought in. When Blake heard about this, he, he went to the battlefield and and found Charlie's body and he brought it back and he buried it at the church that both of them went to near a spot under a tree where they oftentimes sat and, and talked about God and talked about various things. And then Blake went home, he found a piece of marble, and he began to etch on that marble with his own hands an in inscription. And when he got through, he took that piece of marble, he put it over Charlie's grave, and it said simply this. He died for me. And that's what Jesus did for each and every one of us when he was on that cross. He died for me. And he died for you. And you. And you. He died for each and every one of us. But sadly, it seems that there are many people today who who really don't know that much about the cross and what happened on that cross. Many people wear the cross today as a piece of jewelry. There are a lot of people today that have crosses tattooed on their bodies in various places, but they have no clue what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he said, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. Let me say that again. The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. This morning, I want God to burn into your minds and your hearts a picture of what happened on that cross 2,000 years ago, and my prayer for you is that before you leave today, you will have a desire to fall on your face before Jesus, the one who gave his life for you, and thank him for giving himself for undeserving sinners like you and I. Now, as we unpack what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago, there are three things I want us to see. The first thing I want us to see is the agony of the cross listen to what John said in John chapter 19 verse 1 he said then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead tipped whip the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put a purple robe on him later on it says then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. I'm afraid there are many today who never have fully understood what Jesus went through on that day that he was crucified. He was betrayed, he was denied. He was spit on, he was beaten with fists, he was slapped, he was mocked, he was flogged, he was beaten with rods, he was taunted, he was marched through the city carrying a cross on his back and then he was crucified until he died. Jesus experienced more agony that day than any man before him had ever experienced or any man after him will ever experience. First of all, Jesus experienced physical agony. Crucifixion was one of the most horrifying forms of execution ever devised by man. Cicero, the the Roman philosopher, called it the most cruel and shameful forms of punishment, a horrifying death. Its brutality is described by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 52. Listen to what he said, looking into the future at what would happen to Jesus 700 years later. He said, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Jesus went through so much in less than 24 hours that at the end of his life, he would have been unrecognizable. The truth of the matter is the portrayals of Jesus' death could never truly picture what he went through. It began with a flogging. He would have been whipped with a whip called a cat of nine tails. A cat of nine tails was a short circular piece of wood and it had nine pieces of leather attached to the end of it. And each strip of leather had, had chunks of bone and pieces of iron sewn into them. And with every blow of that cat of nine tails, layers of skin would peel off the body of the person being flogged like paper. Dr. Truman Davis, a medical doctor, said the cuts would go deeper and deeper until the arteries would spurt blood and flesh would hang like long ribbons. Eusebius, a third century historian, said the very muscles, sinews, and bowels were open to exposure, and the Roman guards could beat a prisoner anywhere Not just on their back, but all over their body. So Jesus was flogged until he was at the point of death. Then a crown of thorns was placed on his head. Thrust would be a better word. The thorns on that crown of thorns were probably about an inch thick. And each thorn would have been driven down into the scalp to the skull of Jesus. We are told by Matthew that, that after they put that crown of thorns on his head, they beat him with rods. After they did that, the beam of the cross was placed on Jesus' already torn shoulders, and he was led through the streets to Golgotha. The cross beam itself would have weighed about a hundred pounds, and as Jesus carried it through the streets of the city, it would have continued to rip away at the flesh. On his shoulders Blood would have been pouring From his body His strength would have been weakening When he got to the top of the hill They would have laid the cross down And they would have put Jesus On top of that cross They would have stretched out his arm As far as it could go And then they would nail that nail Into his hand And then they would take his other hand And they would typically tie a rope Around the wrist and they would pull his arm out as far as it could go oftentimes they would dislocate the shoulder because they wanted his arm stretched as far as possible and when it went as far as it could go they would then nail his other hand to the cross then after they did that, the person would hang on that cross in that position for a period of time until the muscles around their chest cavity began to paralyze. You could breathe in, but you couldn't breathe out in that position. So what would happen is death would usually occur within a matter of minutes through suffocation. But the Romans wanted this to be a cruel punishment they didn't want people to die in minutes they wanted them to hang on that cross for hours and days and so what they would do is they would take their their legs and they would bend their legs at the knees and once their legs were bent at the knees they would nail their feet to the cross and the person would be hanging on the cross until they could not breathe and their lungs were about to explode. And then they would pick themselves up. And as they did, their feet where the nails had pierced them would just rip and tear. And they would hold themselves up as long as they could until the pain got so unbearable that they would go back down. And they would sit in that position until they couldn't breathe. And their lungs were about to explode again and they would pick themselves up again until the pain became unbearable. And for hours, and sometimes even for days, a person on the cross would go down and up and down and up until their strength was completely gone and they couldn't hold themselves up. And when that happened, They would go down. They couldn't get up anymore. And they would suffocate and die. You see, the Romans wanted this kind of death to be the most agonizing, painful death that had ever been invented by man. And it was. Jesus went through physical agony. But Jesus not only went through physical agony, Jesus went through emotional agony. Psalm 22 is a psalm that is prophetically written about Jesus on the cross. And it says this. It says, I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. Jesus hung on that cross. Oftentimes we don't realize this, but he hung on that cross naked for people to come by and and simply hurl insults at him. Can you imagine being led through those streets you had walked down so many times? You had healed the sick. You had given sight to the blind. You had caused the deaf to be able to hear. You had taught eternal truths to the very people who are now mocking you and cursing you. Can you imagine the abandonment Jesus must have felt realizing that every single one of his disciples had abandoned him. I imagine as he was walking down that street, I imagine as he was hanging on that cross, his eyes locked with some very people that he had ministered to, and now they were laughing at him. But I want you to understand the physical agony and the emotional agony that Jesus went through is nothing compared to the spiritual agony. In Matthew's gospel, it says at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock for three hours. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabonathai, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then that word that's translated called out is found only here in the New Testament. It it literally means to scream out. R.C. Sproul calls this the scream of the damned. Of all the physical pain Jesus went through, he never screamed. He was beaten. He didn't open his mouth. He was whipped. He didn't utter a word. A crown of thorns was thrust upon his head and he remained silent. The nails were hammered into his hands and his feet and yet no word. And now, in the darkness of the moment, Jesus screams out. Jesus was experiencing something more painful, more horrifying than any man had ever experienced before. He was abandoned by God. I've seen cars abandoned in fields, I've seen houses and buildings that have been abandoned. I've met with mothers and children who have been abandoned. But this is Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the one who was with God the Father in the beginning, the one who had been one with the Father from before time itself Began and now we hear him screaming on the cross, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why the Father abandoned the Son? The reason is simple it's because the weight of sin was placed on Jesus. The spotless Lamb of God was now bearing the pain, the guilt, and the shame of all humanity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For God made Christ who never sinned, to be our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He, Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross. Jesus took my sin. Jesus took your sin upon himself when he was on that cross. Someone described it like this. I could never describe it this way. I want you to listen. Listen. He said, imagine that someone in the, somewhere in the universe there is a cesspool containing all the sins that have ever been committed. This cesspool is deep, dark, and indescribably foul. All the evil deeds that men and women have ever done are floating there. Imagine that a river of filth constantly flows into that cesspool, replenishing the vile mixture with all the evil done every day. Now imagine that while Jesus was on the cross, that cesspool is emptied onto him. See the flow of filth as it settles upon him. The flow never seems to stop. It's vile, toxic, deadly, filled with disease, pain, and suffering. Think of it. All the lust the world has ever seen was there all the broken promises were there all the murder all the killing all the hatred of people were there all the theft all the adultery all the pornography all the drunkenness all the bitterness all the greed all the gluttony all the drug abuse all the crime all the cursing every vile deed every wicked thought every vain imagination all of it was laid upon jesus when he hung upon that cross In that moment of human history, because of a plan that had been made long before, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He went to the cross. Instead of forsaking us, the Father forsook his son. Instead of pouring out his wrath on us, the Father poured his wrath out on his son. In that dark moment on the cross, the father turned his back on the son. God the father rejected the only begotten son. What we deserved to be forsaken by God because of our sin, Jesus took upon himself. On that day, when God looked down on his son, he didn't see his son. He saw every single sin that has ever been committed and every single sin that will ever be committed. And the father had to look away. The father had to separate himself from the sin. The father had to turn his back on the sin so that he would not turn his back on us. Jesus was temporarily separated from the father so that you and I could be forever united with The Father, because of our sin, because of the Father's love, Jesus experienced separation from God. Jesus was forsaken so that we could be forgiven. And that sin that was poured on Jesus, and that separation from the Father was so great that it broke. Jesus' heart. The Bible says that when Jesus breathed his last breath, a Roman soldier came with a sword and, and, and pierced Jesus' side into his heart, and, and we're told that out came water and blood. Now, why are we told that? Well, medical doctors tell us that when the heart ruptures, water and blood separate And that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus' heart literally ruptured. It burst because of all the agony he was under. The agony of the cross was an act of love. Praise God, that's not the end. Because second, we see the accomplishment that took place on the cross. Listen to what it says in chapter 19, verse 30. It says, when Jesus had tasted it, He said it is finished then he bowed his head and released his spirit now there are a number of words that are used to describe what Jesus did when he died on the cross we're told that he was the atonement the sacrifice for our sin we are told that he justified us before God we are told that he redeemed us he reconciled us with God but But there's no description I like more than this description found in verse 30. It says, before Jesus breathed his last breath, it doesn't say this, but I believe that Jesus looked up to heaven toward the Father and he said, it is finished. He released his spirit and he died. He didn't say it is finished, meaning I'm finished. He didn't say it is finished, meaning I have been defeated. He said it is finished, giving a cry of victory. Have you ever paid off a debt? It's a good feeling to pay off a debt. Well, the word that is used here for it is finished, just one Greek word, the Greek word is to telestai. It means to pay off a debt. When Jesus was on that cross, before he breathed his last breath, he looked to the Father and he said, the debt is paid. And then he died. You see, Jesus paid a debt you and I owed so that you and I could experience an eternity that we do not deserve. Oh, the accomplishment of the cross. Hebrews nine twelve says, With his blood, Jesus, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. The blood of animals in the Old Testament may have covered the sins of the people for a season, but the blood of Jesus takes our sins away. Our debt has been paid. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. What you and I owe because of our sin is our death. Our eternal separation from God But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus paid our debt. The agony of the cross, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual agony, the accomplishment of the cross, Jesus paid our sin debt. But in closing, I want to give you the affirmation that I believe really shout it out from the cross, and there are two things. One, the cross shouts out that God hates sin, and God must punish sin. God can't overlook our sin. God can't ignore our sin. Our sin is treason, rebellion against our Creator. Our sin is rejecting our Creator's right to rule over our lives. But Jesus came and died to deliver us from the wrath that we deserve. John 3:36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains in him. You see, we have a choice. We can accept Jesus' payment for the wrath we deserve or we can choose to take the wrath upon ourselves. No, listen. You don't want to take the wrath upon yourself because the wrath of God means eternal separation forever from his love, from his presence. The cross shouts out that God hates sin, but the cross also shouts out that God loves sinners. He loves sinners so much that he has already provided payment for our sin. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, but but you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Jesus didn't say, get your act together and then maybe I'll love you. No while you're still a sinner, while you're a rebel against God, he loves you. And he has provided a way to forgive you and save you through his son's blood. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells a story about a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. And the doctor explained that the blood transfusion would Would save his sister because he had the same rare disease that she had had and and he had overcome it and if she didn't get this blood transfusion of of the blood of someone who had had the disease and was cured then his sister was going to die and so the little boy thought for a minute after the doctor said would you give Mary your blood he thought he hesitated his lip began to quiver and then he said yes I'll give my sister my blood then they willed them into the room and in his eyes Johnny's eyes locked with Mary's eyes and, and he smiled at her real big and then they put the needle in to begin the transfusion and as they did and the blood began to run from his arm you could tell he was scared and as we were almost through with the blood transfusion the little boy Johnny looked at the doctor and said doctor when am I going to die and it was only at that moment that the doctor realized that Johnny thought that in giving his blood, he was going to have to die, and, and he was willing to die for his sister so his sister could live. But you need to understand, Jesus didn't just give his blood. Jesus wasn't just willing to die. Jesus died in your place and in my place so that we could have the gracious gift of God's love and eternal life and if if the cross of Christ and what he went through on that cross is not enough to soften your heart and cause you to fall at his feet in love giving your life to him I don't know if anything will. The cross is the greatest act of selfless love ever bestowed upon mankind. God did it for every one of us in this room. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want to ask you a question. and I want you to be honest. Has the cross changed your life? Has the cross changed your life? You see, I believe with all my heart when we come to the realization of what Jesus did for us on that cross, it changes everything. It causes us to turn from sin. It causes us to trust Jesus with our life. It causes us to want to follow him anywhere and everywhere he leads because of that selfless act. And it's the cross and the blood that was shed that is the act that God uses to give us a new birth, a new beginning. So I ask you, has the cross of Jesus changed your life? I'm not asking you, have you prayed a prayer? I'm not asking you, have you joined a church? I'm not asking you, have you been dunked in a pool of water? I'm asking you, has the cross changed your life? Can you say because of what Jesus did on that cross, I'm different, I'm changed, I will never be The same. If not, I beg you, beg you, look deep within. Look deep within. And if you know that you haven't really been saved, you haven't really given Jesus your life, then why not today? Why not now? It's simple. In humility, you've got to acknowledge your sin and turn from sin. You've got to trust Jesus to save you. You've got to give him your life. It's that simple. The Bible says when we do that, he saves us. Through the power of his Holy Spirit, he changes us. It's a change that begins on the inside and it makes its way to the outside, and we're changed. And if you're here and you've never been changed and you want Jesus to change you today, I I invite you to pray this prayer to Him with a humble spirit right now, dear God. I humbly come to you today, admitting I'm a sinner. I'm sorry tired of living life my way. Right now, I'm turning from a life of sin. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. Right here, I'm trusting you to save me. Right now, I'm giving you control of my life. I want to follow you all the days of my life from here on out. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.